0: Thank you for tuning in today and welcome back to another episode of The Source. I'm your host, Anne Raza. And today I'll be talking to David Vine in detail about U.S. military bases. David Vine is Professor of Political Anthropology at American University in Washington, D.C. He is a board member of Cost of War Project and the co-founder of Overseas-Based Realignment and Closure Coalition. He's the author of numerous books, the latest being United States of War, A Global History of America's Endless Conflicts from Columbus to the Islamic state David Wein thank you so much for your time today
1: Zane thank you it's a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you
0: Before we get into the details of US military bases I would first like to start with your biography you're a board member of the Cost of War project and the co-founder of the Overseas Based Realignment and Closure Coalition Can you introduce these organizations to our viewers their purpose and activities
1: Sure, I highly recommend both. I'm biased, but I highly recommend both to your, your viewers. The Cost of War Project is a really important organization that now for more than a decade has been tracking the human and financial costs of the US post 9 11 wars. The United States, of course, has been fighting endless wars since 2001, and beginning in Afghanistan, then extending to Iraq, uh, Yemen, Libya, Syria, and far beyond. The cost of war project, because the US government has not shown the US public or the world what these wars have meant in terms of the lives taken, the people displaced, uh, the financial costs, the injuries, because the US government essentially has not done its job, the cost of war project has systematically documented and tracked how many people have been killed by these wars? How many people have been displaced? Uh, what are the financial costs, among many others, including environmental costs? So I am very proud to be part of that and have contributed to the effort. The Overseas-Based Realignment and Closure Coalition is a group of activists, people who work for think tanks, academics, and others who have concerns about the what we'll be talking about today, the huge global network of US military bases around the world, the 750 US military bases in around 80 foreign countries and colonies, a bigger collection of overseas military bases than any people, country or empire in world history. The Overseas-Based realignment and Closure Coalition has brought together people across the political spectrum in the United States who share concerns and want to see the United States begin to close bases abroad, bases overseas, uh, realizing that for a range of reasons, uh, this is a completely counterproductive strategy that is actually endangering the United States and the world in many respects, rather than making us more secure.
0: Political anthropology is quite an interesting field. It examines the origin and development of human societies and cultures. As an anthropology professor, what motivated you to apply that knowledge into the field of U.S. empire, military bases, and foreign policy? How does your field connect to this topic?
1: Yeah, you know, different people have different ideas of what anthropology is, but at its broadest, it's the study of human beings and then can be applied really anywhere. I'm happy to say that in the past several decades, a growing number of anthropologists have used their anthropological skills and anthropological lens to invest investigate the workings of empire, especially U.S. empire, um, but, but other empires, often empires past, uh, as well as the workings of the U.S. military and U.S. wars. And that's uh, what I was most interested in doing. I mean, uh, this goes back to the 1960s, when the United States was fighting, of course, a war in Vietnam and other parts of Southeast Asia. And some anthropologists began saying, wait, why? Why are we spending so much time focused on relatively small and esoteric matters often, and ignoring the most powerful force in the world, or certainly one of them, in the power of the U.S. empire, the power of U.S. imperialism, um, and the, the wars that the United States was waging. Uh, over time, the, the field developed, um, but I'm part of a, a growing number of anthropologists and others who've been studying the effects of U.S. military bases abroad, and that's where my career sort of began, uh, by looking at one military base, uh, base on the island of Diego Garcia, very small and isolated island in the middle of the Indian Ocean, where the United States has had a military base since the late 1960s, early 1970s, and where to create the base, the US and British governments, the US conspired, it's not too strong a word to say conspired with the British government, we have the documents showing this conspiracy, sometimes there are real conspiracies. the two governments conspired to forcibly remove the entire indigenous people of Diego Garcia and the surrounding Chagos archipelago and dump them in exile. And beginning uh, around 21 years ago, I was asked to, to help document the effects of that exile, the effects of being forcibly removed from your home and dumped uh, in exile without any resettlement assistance, without jobs, without homes. This is what happened to the people of Diego Garcia and the rest of the Chagos archipelago, they're known as the Chagosians. And that made me begin to ask a series of questions, not just about the effects of having your homeland stolen from you, that was where it began, but also why does the United States have a military base in the middle of the Indian Ocean, thousands of miles from the nearest US borders? does the United States need a military base in the middle of the Indian Ocean? What exactly is this base doing? And what are this huge, what's this huge collection of military bases doing around the world? Are they are the bases protecting the United States and people around the world as has so often been claimed? Um, But very rarely has anyone asked the people who make those claims to prove it prove that these bases are protecting U.S. national security, prove that they are ensuring regional and global peace and security. Uh, Often the exact opposite has been the case. These bases have been launch pads for war. That has been the track record since the United States began building this massive and unprecedented collection of bases around the world during World War II and then maintaining and often expanding it during the Cold War. So that's sort of how my career took off, beginning with this one base and then beginning to look at the whole collection of US bases around the world and the broad effects they're having on people and the damaging effects, let me be clear, that they are so often having in human terms, in environmental terms, in social terms, among many others.
0: You already mentioned some facts, but let's get more into the details of US military bases. Uh, can you provide us uh, with some context of how these US military bases developed and how many of them are there now? And what are their actual costs and even functions if it's not there for security and peace as is usually claimed?
1: Let me again stress that this is a a long outdated policy that is a catastrophic waste. And more than just being a catastrophic waste, uh, They're extraordinarily dangerous in a range of ways in making war m- more likely rather than less likely. Again, let me begin with some of the, the background facts. There are currently around 750 US military bases around the world in some 80 foreign countries and colonies. There are also thousands of US military bases in the continental United States, the 50 US states, in, in, indeed. Um, But this collection of bases, 750 bases in 80 countries and colonies, is again, a larger collection of foreign bases than any country or empire or people in world history. Uh, Compare it to the number of US embassies and missions and consulates, there are about 275 embassies, missions and consulates, compare that to 750 bases. Uh, There are other countries that have foreign bases, Russia, of course, notably has foreign bases. Uh, China has a grand total of eight. Uh, Russia's numbers are are difficult with every country because of the secretive nature of bases. And the Pentagon puts out a list every year, but it's notoriously inaccurate. But Russia probably has on the order of two to three dozen foreign bases. Uh, China, again, has eight, one in Djibouti, and then seven on human made islands in the South China Sea, plus bases in Tibet. Turkey has a few Israel, um, some of the European EU members or NATO members have foreign bases. Um, But the United States has far and away the the vast majority of of foreign bases. Uh, And and again, this is a, a system that dates largely to World War II and the early days of the Cold War, and has become an entrenched part of the thinking of the people who have controlled and really hijacked US foreign policy for decades. They've just come to assume that the United States needs to to maintain hundreds of military bases around the world and hundreds of thousands of US troops to ensure US national security. And that belief has just become sort of a, a religious belief, a religious dogma rather than being based in, in fact. And that, that's what led me to investigate and then write my book, Base Nation, to look at, okay, what really are the effects of these bases? What effects are they having? Are they indeed protecting US national security? Are they spreading democracy, As been so often claimed. That too, completely false. The United States maintains bases in around 38 countries that are uh, less than democratic, often ruled by despotic rulers, Um, often murderous regimes, where U.S. bases are actually propping up undemocratic rulers and governments, uh, blocking the spread of democracy rather than accelerating it.
0: So let's talk about the costs of these military bases. Not only the monetary terms, you can obviously mention that, but also the opportunity costs. In other words, where this money could have been spent, otherwise domestically or even abroad. Could you first talk about the costs that these military bases entail and thereafter examine the opportunity costs?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. I didn't get to get to that very important fact, which is that the United States is currently spending around $80 billion a year. In fact, that that statistic, that estimate that I made is a couple years old. So the, the total is, is surely reaching 100 billion US dollars a year, 100 billion US dollars a year. And when I talk about this system and this uh, longstanding policy as being a catastrophic, disastrous waste, I, I have in mind, you know, what What else could we be doing with those 10s of billions of US dollars? What else could we be building? I mean, beginning for people in the United States, the infrastructure in the United States is, in so many cases, crumbling roads, bridges, schools. Meanwhile, we have this extraordinarily robust infrastructure bases around the world. Uh, We can also think about infrastructures worldwide that the United States could be contributing to building, building public health infrastructures globally to protect against global pandemics, building a green infrastructure domestically, meaning in the United States and around the world to help stop the acceleration of global warming, global heating, climate change. Uh, There are pressing needs that the United States is neglecting disastrously. Because it is investing so much money on this system of, of US military bases abroad, as part of a larger, of course, war system and, and system of military investment, where the United States is now spending upwards of one trillion US dollars a year. One trillion US dollars a year in, in total. And you know, that's so much money, it's 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 very difficult to even comprehend what one trillion dollars means. Um, but it's, suffice it to say, the United States is investing, uh, really, I, I apologize the profanity, ungodly sums of money in its military and in war, and it's been doing so for decades. And this is uh, going to be, in my mind, the downfall of the United States if we don't choose a different path, beginning with closing U.S. bases abroad that are again, unnecessary in many cases, actually making war more likely by fueling military tensions. Most worryingly in East Asia, when it comes to China, the United States has been building up U.S. military bases around China's borders. The United States has maintained hundreds, literally hundreds of military bases in East Asia, again, for for decades since the Cold War. And has, uh, unfortunately, recently, uh, dating to at least the Obama administration and the George W. Bush administration before it, building up more bases in China's backyard, encouraging China, the Chinese government only to build up its military power uh, in what appears to be an upwardly spiraling, uh, an upward spiral that uh, could bring the two countries closer and closer to war, a war that should be simply unthinkable. A war between the two most powerful countries on earth, uh, the two countries with the most powerful economies and the most powerful militaries. But it is important to point out, again, when thinking about the total United States spends on its military, I mentioned upwards of $1 trillion now if you put together all forms of US military spending, uh, that is more than three times what China spends on its military every year. Um, The United States spends more on its military than the next 10 countries combined. And most of those 10 countries are actually US allies. So if you add together US military spending plus the spending of US allies like Britain and France and other NATO members, uh, they far far outspend both Russia and China. Russia spends less than 100. Russia spends less on its military than the United States spends just on foreign military bases.
0: So I would like to play the devil's advocate here, uh, if I could. Um, Usually the counter arguments that are made um, is that uh, these military bases are an investment into uh, uh, foreign populations or in in foreign countries, and they they provide jobs and assistance and everything. Um, Could you provide um, another perspective? Basically, how does it affect the indigenous population environment is it what is claimed that it provides jobs and opportunities or does it have a adverse effect?
1: Well, you asked about the good, all good questions. Uh, you asked about the, uh, you know, the effects begin with the Chagosians. Um, this group of people that I've been working with and studying uh, the people of Diego Garcia and the rest of the Chagos archipelago who had their homeland taken from them. It's not an isolated incident. They're mostly indigenous peoples around... I've been able to document upwards of 20 uh, peoples who've been displaced by the construction or expansion of U.S. military bases uh, since the late 19th century. So that's just one example. And and the taking of land is not not unique to indigenous people or or the Chagosians, far from it. Um, But indeed, many, many people make claims about the the jobs that are provided and the economic impacts. Indeed, there, there are jobs on these bases. But one, especially if you're living in a another country, not the United States, you should think about, okay, what, what is a US military base? It is a generally large plot of la- land in another country where who is employed? Mostly these bases employ US military personnel. These are US military bases. Um, they do employ some locals typically, but the economic impacts are generally dramatically exaggerated to sell a US military base to a local population. Some local businesses surely benefit bars, restaurants, hotels, Um, certainly some other local contractors benefit. But these are actually really poor forms of economic investment. They take up large plots of land that could be used in more productive ways economically speaking. And again, foreign military bases mostly employ foreign military personnel, i.e. U.S. that is U.S. military personnel. Um, they're also a bad form of investment for the United States, uh, thinking from a U.S. perspective, this is money that's invested in another country, so a fair amount of the money or some money goes into um, the, the local economy in Germany or Italy or Japan or South Korea. These are the four countries that have the most U.S. military bases uh, currently. Uh, although they're they're located in Africa and across the Middle East and Latin America, um, other parts of Asia, you find U.S. military bases. Um, but the the economic benefits have been a way that U.S. military personnel, U.S. government officials, and local government officials often sell the presence of a U.S. military base to local populations. Um, but the the benefits, the economic benefits, are are, are greatly exaggerated, and and especially. Um, they are especially poor when compared to other forms of of economic investment. You could look at Okinawa, Japan, where many know the United States has maintained bases since World War II and where there's been a very active protest movement. In most places where there are U.S. military bases abroad, uh, foreign U.S. military bases, one sees various forms of protest over time. Uh, People tend not to like having a foreign military on their soil and living side by side. Again, people who work on these bases, you can understand when they might uh, appreciate the base, although even them, I, you know, I, part of my research was talking to locals who work on, on US military bases abroad, and, and they often, while enjoying the jobs they have, understand why other people uh, are concerned about their, their, their presence. Um, but in Okinawa, the, the Okinawan people have been able to claw back, struggle to get back. Um, many of the bases formerly occupied by the US military and have turned them into, uh, in some cases, shopping malls, housing, businesses. Uh, in Germany, there are cases where uh, former bases have become universities. Uh, there are many examples of, of transforming bases into far more useful uh, functions and purposes. And, and, and that's the call that I, I make and the call that others in the, the Overseas Base Realignment and Closure Coalition that I work with have been making, that, that the United States needs to begin closing these tremendously wasteful and, and frequently dangerous U.S. military bases abroad and building up. Far more useful. Um, for example, the diplomatic presence in the United States. We're not calling for the United States to abandon the rest of the world or disappear on the, on the on the global stage. Far from it. We're saying close U.S. military bases abroad and and build up the U.S. military presence while also supporting locals in in their efforts to transform foreign military bases into things like schools and businesses and parks and and other far more useful uh, and and
0: peaceful uh, ways of using uh, land. Let me look at another argument that is usually made. According to the BBC, the US and the Philippines are holding their largest ever joint military drills after China concluded large-scale exercises around Taiwan. This would involve more than 17,000 troops, including 12,000 from the US. It also includes drills to blow up a mock target warship in the South China Sea. In the end of the article, they state, and let me quote them here, quote, The aim NLC will, be to deter, will be to deter further territorial expansion by China in the South China Sea, while also provide a place for the US to watch Chinese military movements around Taiwan, unquote. Don't you think it is vital to curb Chinese aggressive territorial expansion with military bases given that these countries do not adhere to democratic principles and therefore pose a threat to global security? I mean, look at the Russian war on Ukraine. It could be taken as an example. If the US had military bases there, the war could have been avoided, these um, US officials usually argue. What do you make of this argument?
1: Yeah, I I don't make much of that argument at all. I I think that the opposite is the case. The United States was building up US military bases in Central and Eastern Europe, closer and closer to the borders of of Russia and uh, increasingly threatening Russia. And uh, certainly were not effective in in deterring the Russian uh, illegal imperialistic invasion of of Ukraine. Um, Far from it, I, I think. The, the construction ex- and expansion of US bases in, in Central and Eastern Europe helped uh, encourage uh, a, a military response from from Russia. And it was the, the threat of US and NATO bases in, in, a, a, in Ukraine, if it joined NATO, um, that I think was part of the uh, reason that, that Putin invaded. Uh, and let me be clear that this is not a justification for for Putin's illegal and imperialist uh, war, um, but uh, the, the the deterrence strategy has not worked. Um, and again, when it comes to China, the United States has far too many bases in East Asia already. The Chinese government indeed has built around seven military bases on human-made islands in the South China Sea that are not are are not its islands, um, as, or they're not even islands, they're, they're human made, they're a set of reefs and rocks in the sea, um, that uh, a UN court has has ruled are properly the sovereign territory of, of the Philippines. Um, this happened several years ago, um, China should leave. Um, but China has not exhibited uh, aggressive uh, expansionist uh, military Practices. Um, you know who has been launching wars and engaging in wars around the world in the last 20 years. The last war that uh, the United States has, uh, along with many of its you NATO know, allies, China's last war outside its borders was in 1979. Um, there is a huge amount of fear mongering when it comes to the Chinese military threat that is be- being used to justify a buildup of US and allied military forces and bases um, to justify greater and greater amounts of military spending. Um, also the benefit largely of weapons contractors, military contractors, the uh, military industrial complex as we call it here in the United States, uh, a set of, of interests that are um, driving and again, hijacking, US foreign policy and and, uh, increasingly encircling China in a way that is only encouraging China, again, to respond militarily, uh, to build up its military forces in a way that could even accidentally trigger a war between the United States and China that should be, as I said before, unthinkable. Not just because these are the two most powerful nations on earth, not just because they're the two most powerful military and economic powers, because these are nuclear armed powers. Any military clash between China and the United States could easily spin out of control and become a nuclear war that could endanger all of human existence on Earth, literally endanger all of human existence on Earth and kill millions, tens of millions, if not billions of people if it was a full-scale nuclear war. Uh, this should be beyond frightening and we should be doing everything in our power to prevent any possibility of a war between China and the United States. And instead, of course, we should be encouraging the leaders of China and the United States to be working collaboratively. Not an easy task, but this is what we must do. Work collaboratively to take on the real threats facing China, the United States, Europe, Asia, the entire globe beginning with the threats of global warming, global heating, climate change, uh, global pandemics, poverty, hunger, uh, people who, in the United States at least, other countries, of course, um, the, the idea of people sleeping on the streets is is unthinkable, um, but but in the United States and other parts of the world, of course, housing is a pressing concern. So these are the kinds of issues that, that we have to be confronting rather than squandering hundreds of billions of dollars every year, in total more than $2 trillion, if you put together <clears throat> total global military spending, um, that is going to the benefit of the military industrial complex, the weapons manufacturers, the, the, the arms makers, um, who are making a killing on war, that is
0: killing Earlier this year, the U.S. and Philippines reached an agreement in which the U.S. would station four additional military bases in the Philippines. You already mentioned this, that the U.S. has now built an arc around China stretching from South Korea and Japan in the north to Australia in the south. Another argument that is usually made is that the U.S. is not expanding on its own initiatives and it has bilateral agreements with sovereign countries, such as Germany, Italy, Japan, Philippines and others. These countries are sovereign and are making independent decisions, only asking U.S. for assistance. How do you respond to this argument?
1: There are a range of relationships when it comes to U.S. military bases abroad and a range of democratic approval for the presence of U.S. bases abroad. In countries like Germany, relatively democratic countries, um, I think they have more democratic legitimacy than in countries that, that are ruled, again, by undemocratic governments and regimes. Um, where the United States is making a deal with, for example, the government of Qatar, where the World Cup was recently held. held. Uh, you know, There was a fair amount of important attention to the migrant workers who, who died and and often had their wages stolen, um, were laboring under awful conditions uh, to build the the stadiums in in Qatar and other infrastructure. Very few people paid attention to the other kind of infrastructure just down the road from those stadia. Um, That is US military bases. The United States has maintained bases in Qatar since 1980. Um, and just one example of the kind of undemocratic regime where the United States and its base presence is propping up an, an, an undemocratic regime. Now, when it comes to other countries like the Philippines and, and other European or NATO members, um, indeed, there are elites who are, are very much uh, bought into this longstanding policy of US military power and base dispersal around the, around the globe um, that doesn't make it, uh, any better of a policy. Um, these countries are, these leaders are endangering their own populations as well. You could look at the example of Australia, where there's also a a buildup of US military bases and forces as part of a, a really awful, um, new deal known as AUKUS between Australia, the United Kingdom and the United States. Um, Australian leaders are are endangering uh, people of Australia by making Australia more of a target for the Chinese military. Uh, As part of this buildup of US military forces, the Chinese government, uh, understandably, would have to see that buildup as a threat, the threat that it is, and uh, begin accounting for that threat by by making uh, Australia a target. Um, Similarly, the Philippines is more of a target now, after the announcement of four new uh, Philippines military bases where US forces will be deployed, we're unsure what kind of US military facilities will be built there. But again, this only uh, brings the Philippines into growing military tensions between the United States and its allies and China, um, increasing the military threat to the Philippines, making it more of a target. Uh, and indeed endangering the larger region. Uh, and again, this is uh, precisely the wrong path that uh, the world needs at this moment. We need to uh, move toward a path of, of tamping, of bringing down military tensions, uh, and collaborating and cooperating on the real threats that are facing uh, the world.
0: David Vine, professor of political anthropology and author, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you, it was really a pleasure to talk with you.
0: And thank you for tuning in today. Don't forget to join our alternative channels on Rumble and Telegram. YouTube, which is owned by Google, can shadow ban or censor us at any time. So as a precautionary measure, be sure to join us on these alternative channels. And if you're watching our videos regularly, make sure to take into account that there's an entire team working behind the scenes, doing camera work, light, audio, in the case of our German videos, correction, translation, voiceover. So, if you're watching this video and you want us to continue with independent news and analysis, make sure to donate a small amount today. I'm your host, San Raza. See you guys next time.